You're listening to the Full of Hope podcast. I'm RJ Hurd, and today is the final episode to the story of Ryan Kiggins, our podcast host. You'll hear about Ryan's life post-transplant and what he learned from his experiences. We're going to rely on you to grow our podcast, so please share it with anyone and everyone. Because with so many options for things you can watch, read, and listen to, shouldn't one of them keep you full of hope? And now, your host, Ryan Kiggins. Hi, this is Ryan doing another post-production introduction. I promise soon I will work hard at working these into the actual podcast themselves. But until then, this is what you get. If you haven't caught the first two episodes of my story, I suggest you start there and pick this one up after that. If you have, let's get to the show. So, um... You got to catch us back up where we yeah. where we left off because who yeah. knows how long that's been since they listened to you got the it. last one. Yeah, so really last time we kind of wrapped up when um, I I think I basically just described the fact that, you know, I, I'd gone through the transplant itself in the hospital and that I just talked about really my experience in the hospital and that most of it was spent sleeping and on pain meds and that was all funkified you know um, my mouth was sore and all that stuff so uh, honestly like i wish there was a more exciting element to the the transplant story in the hospital but there's really not but there are a couple things that i happened to listen to the last episode or a, a very small portion of it just to like do sound check and see how things things were working because we're just learning how to use this technology and stuff and the one piece that i listened to <laughs> was um i wanted to clean something up so I was talking about the fact that I was bald everywhere, right? And the fact that being somebody who's bald everywhere, and I thought I had big eyes, so I looked really weird with with no hair. But yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah, good. But I said, I meant to say I didn't have eyebrows or eyelashes, and I said I didn't have eyelids. And then, oh. <laughs> so, just in <laughs> case people whole... were worried... <laughs> That if you go about cancer treatment, you're going to lose your eyelids. That doesn't happen? Well, in my experience, it didn't happen to me. And, you know, just just to be clear, just a a language thing. So it was the eyelashes I was missing, not the eyelids. So that's one piece of cleanup. And then the other thing is... Yeah, I I was worried. I I did. I lost sleep over that. I know. Well, you didn't pick up on it either. You actually repeated my... I lost sleep over it. I I repeated it on the webcast. Yeah. I'm in the podcast. Yeah, here. totally. Exactly. Yeah. But well, now I'm glad I can give you a good night's sleep tonight, hopefully. Okay. Um, and then the other thing was I talked about the chemo that I had had at the beginning of that podcast. I talked about the chemo just absolutely kicking my butt, right? Like it was really, really hardcore and that it, it um, made me go septic and that I was having neuropathy where I couldn't speak very well. Like I could think about what I wanted to say, but I couldn't make the words. And I don't think, I'm almost certain, I never said when that ended. So it ended. I think it ended, at least for the most part. So I just kind of wanted to, in case people were curious, it it actually lasted a few weeks. Like I, I remember after I wrapped up that initial set of chemo and went back home, there were a few weeks between when I went home and then came back to the hospital to, to have the induction therapy or the, the consolidation, sorry, the, the one that's like lighter weight for, you know, just fewer days. Yeah, just to keep you 
keep you keep in what remission, I guess is a word, but to keep you clean. Yeah, right? you got it. Exactly. Yeah. So I think actually I remember my hearing my wife ask the nurses, like, when will this go? When should this stop? When will this go away? And the nurses actually, I remember them saying, well, we're not sure, but we think it'll go away. And so that was super disconcerting because I was, I was feeling like, holy cow, I, this could just be kind of the new communication method that I have to figure out. And I, I remember asking Dr. Petersdorf about that when I checked back in the second time for the, the next therapy. So it had started, I think, getting better. But I do remember having a conversation with him four weeks later about it. So it was, I, I want to say between probably four and six weeks before that resolved itself so that I was able to speak more, you know. Clearly. After you went home even, so yeah. four admissions and then still still couldn't couldn't talk. Right. Okay. Yeah, it was frustrating. I, I, I remember just being really frustrated <laughs> by it because it took – it was so laboring to talk because, again, like I just couldn't – I couldn't make the words – coming out that I wanted to say and it took such focus to even try and then people didn't still didn't understand me and I I just remember getting really frustrated by it so I was I was very very glad that you know that that resolved itself and well, for the mo- for the most part I mean <laughs> the, it doesn't make me any smarter don't get me wrong <laughs> no I mean absolutely yeah. not but that was a rough patch but to like I said before I, I think it had to happen to get rid of this really really aggressive uh, leukemia that I had so yeah. And I also don't remember if I mentioned the fact that it was uh, did I mention the regimen was supposed to be a 10 day regimen I don't I don't anyway uh, when, when you uh, when you went back for the what condu- induction No or? the the sec or the first time when they so the the very the first, first time it didn't really it work didn't you work. thought you were superman Right Yeah I think I think you said And then the okay. second round was supposed to be 10 days and it like I made it through all ten days before things went really south, and I had to go to the ICU. But then I found out I was the first patient ever, at least at, at University of Washington, to make it through all ten days of that protocol. Wow! Yeah, wow. isn't that crazy? What do you mean, like make it through? Like, well, 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 I think. What about, well, remember like how I mentioned it's the, really good to be honest with your care providers about your symptoms and stuff that oh, you're having, you, and you weren't. Well, yeah. okay, I got you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I didn't dig real deep with with the nursing staff that shared that with me. I, I didn't say, oh, did did people die or what happened? But they, they did say that I was the first person to get through it. So I would guess it was more likely that people were just, you know, telling Not them. able to take it. Their bodies weren't taught. You just couldn't tolerate anymore. Yeah, either either they couldn't tolerate or they were just smart enough to tell to tell the doctors they're having a problem. So maybe, you know, so uh, anyway, um, that was, that was kind of of a cool thing that I felt like I had achieved was getting through that regimen for the first time. So I think that's, that's the only real like cleanup stuff I wanted to do from the last episode. Clear up. Clear up. Clear up. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Clear up. Because it's different. Words. Words matter. Yeah. Communication. Maybe it's not better. I don't. I mean, it could be cleanup, but it sounds dirtier. I think in my head. I meant clear up, but clean up came out. So maybe it's not as good as better as I thought it was. Uh, that's basically what happened in the hospital during my transplant. Slept a lot, lots of pain meds. And then then I left. And so and that I, was 90, 90 days, right? Well, Three, I was 
actually in the hospital for, I think, five or six weeks during the transplant. And so after, <clears throat> basically after you're able to start, for my case, it was after I was able to start eating and keeping down food, they would release me. So obviously my counts had to come up, so the transplant had to work, which rescued my immune system. And when your counts come up, your you know that your blood counts, that means, all right, well, we've got an immune, immune system now. So that has to happen. And then after that, really the, the release thing was they wouldn't release me until I could keep food down. And that was basically because of all the medicine that I had to take orally, all yeah. the pills. So I don't remember how many pills a day there were, but th th I think there were um, three times a day or four times a day that I took them and then like eight to 12 pills each, each time. Mm -hmm. So yeah, my wife was in charge of filling that bad boy. So she did, she did uh hero's work there to fill that sucker up and keep me, keep me mm -hmm. rolling. But I said this last time too, but I, I left before I really, I should have, I was just so ready to get out of there and feel like I was making progress that I wasn't also, unfortunately, quite as honest as I should have been about keeping food down. Cause basically I would eat it. They would watch me eat it, but then they'd leave and then I'd throw it up. So, um, that was I mean, cool. Just, I mean, just as if like if someone's looking up to you and your story right now, your your advice would be to don't do that. Actually, tell tell them the truth. Okay, you guys. I wanna, yes, I want to make sure we're clear because <laughs> I'm not saying not. I'm the some golden of your decisions for how could to be do it. No, questionable. Wrong. Very questionable. Yeah. So learn okay. from me. Like, it, and it's it's weird because everybody's you don't know how you're going to handle it till you're in it, and and so you would of course think. Well, yes, I will be honest about all symptoms and, yep. you know, situations for my own safety and those around me. That's what you think would happen and that that's great if it if it can, but you know, after a while I started feeling like I got to do something different. I got to I got to make, you know, feel like I'm moving forward and, you know. So, uh, to me, just in my head getting out of the hospital was like a moving forward thing whether or not whether or not i was quite ready for it i was ready just to go to the next step and the next step for after the transplant was the first couple of days i moved into a hotel for a couple of days because the apartment that we had set up wasn't quite ready at the time because that's another oh, that's, really interesting facet you started you i know you mentioned that now and that brings back actually the they they set you up. They have one that uh, well, the Hutch uses. Yeah, so you know, so that's something that I think you know people should really explore if they're going through anything like this. Which is, I was required to stay within I think a five minute drive of the of UW and Fred Hutch in Seattle, but it's up to you, up to the patient, to find where you're going to stay. And so there is a place that um, is called the Pete Gross House in Seattle that I stayed at that is established and set up for specifically for this purpose. But uh, you're paying for it. You have to arrange for it, all that kind of stuff. So there's there's the research that goes into, oh, gosh, where are we going to stay and what's the timing going to be like? Because it's a guessing game. We, you don't know when you're going to be released. 
Um, you don't yeah. know when your counts are going to be high enough or we, when you're going to be keeping food down and all that stuff. So the, I remember there was a really quick turnaround between the time we said we wanted to to go and when we actually needed to have a room arranged. So that led us to need to stay and it's not the fault of the gross house or anything like that, the place that I was staying. It's just the nature of that type of situation. It's really pretty yeah. dynamic. And frankly, it's pretty amazing that they're able to clear something, you know, that they were able to accommodate so so readily yeah. when we needed it. So huge, huge thanks to them. And then also, because, you know, for 90 days or 100 days, you need to be that close um, to the hospital – I mean that's no joke. Staying in downtown Seattle is not cheap, right? So you're 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 paying for that stuff, and there are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Uh, in my case, um, offered some financial aid to help us get through some of that burden. It didn't pay for everything, but it paid for something. And so if you have you know financial hardships or it's challenging. Look into not-for-profits. The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society was like the direct connection for me, but there are lots and lots of resources out there that, that you can explore for helping out in financial hardship situations. And that was, I have to say, that's massive. I mean, it's just, it's so huge to have any kind of help, um, and it's much, much appreciated. So, Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Very, that's good. That's good info. Yeah, because my, you know, your mortgage doesn't go away, and oh. my wife and kids were, you know, living at home, and and I was the primary breadwinner, and and so, yeah, you gotta you gotta figure it out. So, that's huge. So then we moved after being in in Seattle at a hotel for a couple of days. The the gross house was um, available, and it was actually a pretty dang cool place. It was it was two floors. It was really clean and nice. We were on the street level, which um, led to some interesting stuff in downtown Seattle. I think mm. I think it was actually directly across the street from a halfway home for drug addicts. So we got to listen to some weird stuff happening sometimes. But it was actually a, the the place itself was nice. Um, <coughs> you know, it was really. How, how are you? How are you feeling at this time? Are you like? Well, I mean, you're. Yeah, at first, as I said, I definitely left the hospital probably a good solid week before I should have. And so, you know, to to be honest, I was I was cranky, I had headaches, I was tired. I didn't, just didn't didn't feel good at all. I mean, I I honestly Still growing up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so oh, well, so not just that though. It's a dessert oh. topping and a floor wax. It's not one or, it's both. So, my routine, I want to say, like, starting the, probably, or maybe the first week that I was in the gross house was, I would, when I went to bed at night. Um, I, I don't, hang on. I don't like the, the name when you say it, the gross house. Oh, like, Pete Gross. Sorry. Yeah, it's okay. all the, yeah, all the that, cool people. All the cool, cool but, people call it the gross house. But I understand. Now I can what, see how that feels weird. Especially with the story I think we're about to hear. I, I'm, You're not wrong. I didn't even think of it. It was his last name, I thought. That Pete it, Gross. Yes. Yeah, okay. The Pete Gross house. Pete okay. Gross house. Yes. Okay. Oh, and that place was awesome because there was a, a rooftop garden and like seating area and fire. It was gorgeous. Oh, it was wow. just beautiful. Yeah. 
the funny thing about it is I only really remember going up there the day we checked in to go check it out. And then maybe once or twice really close to when I left. So I didn't take nearly as much advantage as I should have, but it was beautiful. So routine. So, okay. So, yeah, <laughs> well, you, you mentioned it's your fault. You mentioned throwing up and I didn't throw up all day. So this was, this is, well, I, I'm mindful now that I keep telling you what's interesting and what's funny before I tell it. So, you know, yeah, but that's, that's for, that's for us to decide. We, we know decide. I'm, I'm just going to call you out sooner or later, but I can't help it, but this is interesting. <laughs> well, again, <laughs> let, let us decide. It doesn't mean I'm not going to do it. I don't oh. even know if you can stop. I've heard you say that you're as long as I've known you. <laughs> It's like it's like you make me believe that I'm gonna love it before I even hear it. I, How often is it disappointing? Forty percent at least. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, this was so I would I I didn't throw up during the day regularly, occasionally, but I'd go to bed at night and then it, I'd wake up and every morning I had to have diarrhea. First thing, I'd wake up and, I, and my stomach was, you know, not happy. And that was just the thing. So I knew I was going to have to go sit on the toilet and have diarrhea. But the bonus of this was, in addition to the diarrhea, I would puke at the same time. So everything was coming out, out of everywhere in the morning for like 30 seconds. And, and then, like, generally, that was it for the day. It was as far as, like, you know, that stuff. It was really weird, and it and it's funny because I started. Well, god dang it! <laughs> funny or not? It's funny or not? <laughs> it's something. Um, no, I probably a month and a half in to this into the stay, I I just started getting really curious about it, and and it, so it became a thing where I would grab the little puke thing to sit on the toilet with, but then it I, I would just like kind of count in my mind to see how long, long it was before I had to cough. Cause you know, I, I think I mentioned the, 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 the mouth stuff that I had that made me really, really sore during the transplant. Well, that, that um, was something called mucositis and uh, put your, put your lasagna down if you're eating it right now. But um, basically just think it's like the grossest mucus that you can, the thickest, like most nasty stuff you could have in your mouth, like pretty much, all the time, and so and, and that's from that's from because you've got a new immune system and your soft cells inside your mouth and intestine are like regenerating. You got it, yeah. The most amazing rate, and you oh, pretty much, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was related to that, and so every morning I'd wake up and I'm on the toilet, and then I, I would just kind of count how long is it going to be before I have to cough because I never thought I was going to throw up. I was I just felt like I needed to really. You know how you have to clear your throat really good when you have a cold or something like that? And it just mm -hmm. you spit and like you get it all out of your system. So that's every morning what it felt like was like, okay, I just need to really clear this out and then I'll be good. But every time it would lead to me like yakking into this thing while I'm having having diarrhea. So that was that's how that went. Um and that straight up went for a good solid, I know, at least two months every day. That oh, was the my routine. God. Yeah. That is so long. Oh, Yeah. 
that was crazy. But 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 you're doing your pills, right? This this yeah. is also probably something to do with all of the the pills. You're yeah, taking I mean, drugs. really, you know, after probably a week of being out of the hospital, I was able really more consistently to at least eat eat my pills. Um, I didn't have any kind of appetite though, which was weird for me, and and so it took a really long time after the transplant to develop that appetite. You know, I, I didn't eat during the transplant because I couldn't. So I was on the I was on the food through my Hickman device thing in the hospital. But it took a very, very long time afterwards to get my well, I say very long. It it was probably I wanna say maybe seventy days or so before I really felt like eating. I, I had to eat something or I was supposed to anyway. And I actually got a really a really hard time from the nutritionist about that. They, you know, the the care that I got was incredible, and part of it included meeting regularly uh, with their nutritionist, who wanted me to keep a food log, and they weighed me, you know, every time I was in, and I just kept losing weight because I just couldn't. I I just wasn't hungry. It's not that I I was throwing up or anything. I just didn't. I couldn't eat. I I felt nauseous to the of of the idea of just eating anything. So that was a huge challenge. And, and everybody that knows me that, you know, that was coming to visit or stay with me or whatever, they all knew that I love food. So they would bring stuff and I, you know, I wouldn't really eat it. So that was a huge challenge. And I ended up losing a fair amount of weight. So I think I got down the, the my lowest weight that I remember, I think was 125. So my, like my Ooh. normal healthy weight is about 160. Or at least the weight I was before I went through the treatment was about 160. So I got down to, yeah, 125. And, and it's very, very distinctly remember. I, I mentioned I'm not re- somebody who really looks in the mirror a ton. But, you know, part of staying at this place in Seattle, <clears throat> you're required to have somebody there with you 24-7, really. I mean, that's what they want. And so because my wife and, and kids had stuff going on at home during the week, uh, you know, Maddie was in school and, and things like that. She couldn't always be there. So we had, a, you know, a great group of friends and family that came to s- support and stay overnight with me and stuff like that. Um, hey, hey wh- wh- where's your mom now? Like, so she was in the hospital with you, like from, was that just the uh, initial? Yeah, she, yep. Prior, prior to the transfer. Yeah, my, mo- my mom lives in Arizona and, you know, she's, <laughs> she has a life too. And so, she she came up during the initial treatment and so she was she was back in Arizona although she did come to visit of course but in terms of the so she was part of you know part of that rotation that that did stay with me at at some points at the Pete Gross house um but there were lots of other people that that came to do it and so the part about losing a lot of weight and you know getting getting a you know a hard time given to me by the nutritionist. I, I remember there's a couple things that stuck out to me, which was the nutritionist was really frustrated with me because I just wasn't eating. And I was as transparent as I could be, but I just told her, I have, I don't know how to eat when I can't, like, I have no appetite. So I'm forcing myself, I'm trying to force myself, but she's, and then, so her recommendation was smoothies. Eat, eat a smoothie, like put peanut butter and bananas or, into a smoothie yeah. and it seems it's it totally it's it's interesting because it seems like a totally reasonable request and she's looking for ideas but i just remember when she said that thinking to myself i may have even said it because uh some of my patients i think was was dwindling a little bit but 
I remember thinking, if I don't have an appetite for food, why would I have an appetite for a smoothie? It's not like, it's not that I'm saying, you know, certain things just don't sound good. I just, you know, it's something really very real that I think people go through um, in lots of treatments, but definitely I had, there was a zero appetite. And so eating was a huge challenge for me. So there was that weird part with the nutritionist where I I was just confused about her. And, And in hindsight, it's perfectly reasonable, right? And I hope I didn't give her too hard a time. But then the other part of it is, I remember one of my friends who had come to stay with me during the week. I remember him walking in and I think he gave me a hug or something like that. But he said, wow, you really look like a patient. And, and I was, I remember being bothered by that. I think it strangely, I, I don't know that it hurt my feelings, but I just remember feeling weird about it. And it's, it's almost, it could be that thing where it's the, the thing where you want to see the reality, but also like you want to see masculine or like you're, you're doing fine. And it's almost, do you remember when I told you that coworker I had before I ever even went into treatment told me I look like death warmed over. And it was the same thing where I, I, I was going, Oh, I do feel like crap, but. I didn't know anybody else could see. And it's so dumb because I knew I was a cancer patient and I knew I was losing tons of weight because people were telling me. But I think to have somebody just so plainly, you know, say, wow, you now look like like a patient. And it, it's funny because it, he I very distinctly remember, too, he didn't even say cancer patient. And I don't know why that that made it seem worse to me. I don't know why, but it was just really, really interesting. Well, <laughs> You guys decided that's interesting. <laughs> or not. <laughs> or just, not. Just it's say something. or not. It's there is really a status to it. Or not. Yes. Okay. So I'm staying in Seattle, uh, street level, right near the the uh, Fred Hutch and, and UW. So I'm yeah, I'm having the mucositis thing. And oh, the other thing about it was I feel really bad for the people who hung out around me and with me during that time because um, – we would go out periodically or do things or even just sitting there, but I had to spit so frequently and like it was always like I was hawking up a loogie. So it was just constant, like the clear your throat and spit. So I always had a cup with me that I spit into. And just thinking now about how like just gross that experience had to be for everybody that was hanging with me and Nobody ever said a single word about it. So did you warn them? Like when you nope. when they came in and you had a cup in your hand mm. and nobody asked, "Hey, what's the cup for?" I don't think so. No, you didn't warn them. No, I don't you know. just went. This is you just happening. went straight into just. <laughs> I think I did. Wow. Yeah, I would have felt an obligation to. Like, I know. The, the, yes. What's that say warm about my psyche that I warm I don't up. think I did. <laughs> Come on in, people. Yeah, here this is getting okay. this is getting weird. So, and it wasn't just obviously it wasn't just the people that I knew, but I I mean I I remember being at a restaurant and having to do it, and then I just felt really really bad. But, um, so that was that was a weird okay. deal. Um, yeah. So that was in that apartment. The one of the other things that that I remember um, was a huge challenge was they really want wanted me to exercise, of course. Right. So if you're going through anything like this exercise. Right. But but easier said than done. So I I had so little energy. So during the transplant, think about it. I'm in the hospital, basically in a bed for many weeks with no exercise because I slept pretty much the whole time. So your muscles atrophy, you get weak. 
And so I was weak and had no energy. And my wife was kind of tasked with, hey, you got, you know, you got to get this guy exercising. And how do you think that went with, with my wife <laughs> telling me, right? So, yeah, yeah. jumping jacks now. Buddy. Yeah, right. So, you know, uh, God bless her, but, you know, I just, I wasn't compelled to do it just because she said I needed to do it. So what she did was she sicked my friends against me that came to stay with me. And uh, one friend in, in particular, uh, Matt, RJ, who you know. Yeah, um, okay. The first time he had come to stay stay with me, so he, he was one of the friends that stayed with me during this thing. And um, I didn't know it, but my wife had tasked him with uh, getting me some exercise. So, mm. and this friend of mine is in good shape. Like, he's, he's older than me, but he's very physically fit and exercises a ton and, and is, is really in good shape. So he heard that. And so his modality was, all right, well, we're, we're going to take a walk, right? Like, let's take it easy. We're going to take a walk though. And my apartment was, I think a mile and a quarter from Seattle center. And so that's a nice destination. And a mile doesn't feel like a long walk to somebody who's in shape and we'll go slow. So Matt took me on this death, what I call the, the death march um, from my apartment to Seattle Square or Seattle Center, city center. And yeah. I, I call it a death march because, first of all, there's hills involved and I had no strength or muscles. And then and then also the path that I was we that you had to walk on it was basically right on side, sidewalks right along like pretty pretty major um streets that are really pretty packed with lots of cars so i felt like I, i'm trying to be in kind of the safe pristine environment in my in my apartment and i'm just i feel like i'm just inhaling all these massive fumes of trucks driving by and diesel and all this stuff i'm just sucking all this stuff in and plus we, you know, we get probably halfway there and we had to go up the probably, I don't know how many steps it was, but we had to go up what I perceived to be 7,000 steps. It was probably more like 30, but it was definitely more than 10. Uh, maybe it was 20. I don't know. Either way, look, here's the thing. I was in no shape to go up any steps whatsoever. So... And but the path, I think, I think it, we had gone on a path to try, try to get a little bit away from some of the traffic, which led me to have to climb up these steps. So I remember climbing up these steps, not thinking I was going to be able to make it. And then we got to the top of the steps, and it was super weird. It led us out in some area that was like a median in between, like a a couple different roads. So. I'm like on this island or something like that where it kind of where we kind of ended up at the top of this thing and luckily there was a bench but I remember sitting down on that bench and telling him I I was I was going I I cannot I can't go any further I can't make it back I don't know what I'm going to do just cuz I was so exhausted and wiped out and then and then I was you know we weren't even there yet and then we had to get back I remember just remember being very very concerned with my first death march but I will say that but I, what is because I know Matt I mean like did he be like suck it up or oh, let's yeah. go or? no 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 At, look here's the thing I must have really looked like crap because <laughs> everybody was like super patient and nice with me much more so than they should have been 
so he he was um I think he was kind of recognizing that oh shoot I I didn't think this would be such a big you know it's hard to appreciate how how I was somebody who was in pretty good shape before this happened so the idea of me getting completely exhausted walking you know a mile um slowly and you know it's probably hard to relate to but he I know he felt he felt it so he wasn't he wasn't drill sergeant being a drill sergeant or anything like that but um but he did <laughs> but to your point what i think there was a brief discussion when he was like all right we're gonna go take a walk and i told him you know i'm tired and he's like he was like you know something Suck it up, he said dog. yeah something like that to to get me motivated to actually get up and do it, and uh, whether it was shaming or inspiring, I don't remember what it was. But either way, the good news was it got me up and going, and and I think it really it really helped kind of kickstart things because I <clears throat> I do remember being able to exercise more after that, and probably just realized that that I could and needed to do it. So um, that was that was part of the uh, staying in Seattle experience. And then one other thing I wanted to mention too, I had talked about some of the stuff that the Hutch had done to help in terms of financially was, was amazing. Um, there was, there's another area where, or where I'm sorry, the LLS leukemia and lymphoma society helped out financially. Um, but there was another area where the leukemia and lymphoma society, I actually, pretty specifically owe them a gratitude of my life uh, because while I was recovering from the transplant, I went in really regularly, daily, multiple times a day at first. And um, some of the blood work that they were doing, um, they found out that I had a, a virus through this blood work. And uh, the virus was, I don't know that I ever learned the official name of it, but it was CMV, and essentially, it's a virus that they said most people on the planet who have ever had um, chickenpox end up getting this virus. But mm. like, if you have a normal, healthy immune system, you get the virus, and you don't even ever have any symptoms. Like nothing ever happens to <clears throat> to most people. But when you have no immune system and you get this virus. It's quite problematic. So dangerous. Yeah, really dangerous. So I found out I had the virus, and basically what happened was, I I had to take a chemotherapy for the virus, but they were able to give me a little machine and bags of the of the chemo, and it was something that I was able to give myself on regular intervals. For, I think it was a week, but I was able to do it still staying, you know, where I was staying at, at the Pete Gross house in Seattle. And you, you just had, you know, you go through these, whatever, seven bags, however many it was, um, once a day. And the chemo had zero side effects. It killed the virus and, you know, hey, presto, this this was awesome. Well, I found out after the virus was gone that it was just 10 years prior to when, you know, when I went through this, that this chemo uh, regimen had been developed to fight CMV in immunosuppressed people as this amazing treatment that I went through and benefited from. And, um, and that... Mm. That had I gone through this t before that, like 11 years before, before that treatment was available, it more than likely would have killed me. So it it was very, very deadly to people who were immunosuppressed and didn't have 
other options for treating it. So that very much saved my life. And that treatment was funded by a grant from the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. So nice. yeah, it was just this amazing, you know, huge life-saving benefit that I got very directly from the, the LLS, which obviously I'm hugely appreciative for. Um, so am I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, so Me too. the one other, have I ever talked about my girls in, in the Winnie the Pooh dolls? On this, oh, I don't, I don't think so. So one one thing that that they did at Fred Hutch was there was a um, a family you know care counselor. I can't remember what what they're called, but somebody essentially that is very specifically there to help kids understand what's happening and you know kind of get through this experience with their their family member or themselves even but they're there to work with kids and um so i mentioned i had this hickman device that's coming out of my chest right and um it had to be cleaned daily and and treated and, and all that kind of stuff well this uh this resource at fred hutch worked with my kids and they had stuffed Pooh Bears, which was great because my kids were both way into Winnie the Pooh at the time. And they actually put in the, the Winnie the Pooh doll a Hickman device. A Hickman device. Yeah. Oh, that's so crazy. Oh my gosh. It was what? so cool. So it was it, you know, they they had they both had their little Pooh Bears this whole the whole time basically that they cared for and they would they would switch out um what was in the port what was connected to it and be able to do all that stuff and so you know for i'm sure that you know one of the things that a lot of people probably think about or at least i did was you know the impacts on your family when stuff like this happens so little things like that well it was just really really awesome um to find you know an opportunity to to help your kids better understand and and then the and it got them i guess comfortable with the device so that when they saw me with it 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 wasn't as scary and probably one of the most one of the pictures that if i look at it it just makes me like smile and cry at the same time was my Mm. kids sitting next to me on my bed and you know maddie is is older so she was nearly six at the time but she's got her her medical gloves on and is simulating anyway cleaning cleaning around my hickman thing and like she's the nurse helping out right um she absolutely just adored going through that whole exercise and um you know longer longer term once i was out of the hospital that's something actually my wife had to do really regularly every day was very um, methodically clean that thing so so my kids absolutely were maddie particularly loved you know being the helper with my my hickman device and then and then in that same one of those same pictures Haley was much younger so she was probably two by now but and i'll put i think i'll put this picture up on the website but um she's got the met she just loved the gloves so she's got the medical gloves on both hands and both feet like and just like they're <laughs> sprawled out and it's just you know it was just that wanting to be part of it and that was the way she you know she was helping but they were both very fascinated and and way into helping um with that thing and i think it was because <clears throat> of that awesome thing that uh th- that was done with the little pooh bears 
That's cool. That's super cool, man. Yeah, yeah. So that's so, really that's essentially from a from the perspective of the transplant. I mean, it was it was I think about ninety five days um, after the the transplant that I was essentially healthy enough to go home, away from Seattle, go home, and just kind of continue getting strength back. And I think I started working. So I I I don't think I've really talked that much about the work situation but i worked through chemo originally but during the transplant i I absolutely couldn't work and it was it was a solid probably half of the time that i was staying at that apartment in seattle that i still i just couldn't wasn't able to really work and focus and didn't feel well enough so so out of out of not working out of work what what 90 days is that three months that we're talking about no i i would say i probably wasn't working for well, actually, if you add in the part I was in the hospital, I want to say I probably – it was probably closer to 60 days. So probably a solid yeah. two months of not working. Um, okay. Yeah. And then I, then I got back to work. So um, – but <clears throat> after after about 100 or so days, I was cleared to actually go home and now just really start life the cancer was gone my counts were up it's just a matter of what does life look like after all this so i i mentioned before my hands and feet all the skin came off during the hands and feet thing um yeah the uh the gift that kept on giving with that whole deal was my my skin came back but then my fingernails all fell off and my toenails um, so that's weird and it's kind of a slow burn. It doesn't happen overnight. And so, and it, it was bad when they would start coming off from the, the part, um, if, sorry, if you're eating lasagna, puts your lasagna down maybe, but, um, it's, it's, they started to come off from the, the part where they connect like the bottom part where your cuticles are. And so they would get – it get snagged on stuff. Like if you're changing your clothes or whatever, that bottom part would get snagged and start to pull it further loose. So it was – um, that was gross to look at and really painful. And I remember actually returning to work. So this was you know well after 100 days. But I remember when I returned to work, I went back to work and I still had um, – what seemed to work best was scotch tape. I just scotch taped my fingernails, the ones that were remaining, just onto my onto my fingers until they all fell off. But um, yeah, that was super weird. And then they came back with like these huge. I still have like weird ridges in my fingernails. Um, so that was a weird deal. I don't know what that well, was all about. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, but now you know we're kind of into what happened post treatment. Things that changed after really after that treatment. So I had to go on high dose prednisone. I had developed this thing. Um, I haven't talked about it at all yet, but it's called graft versus host disease. So GVHD, and essentially, basically, I've got a whole new immune system, right, from a donor. And the GVHD basically is your body saying, "I don't know what's going on." We're gonna. It, it's it's just like if you get a kidney transplant, right? People have to take medication to so your body doesn't reject it. Attack it. Yeah. 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 And so, but this isn't a kidney. This is my entire immune system. So there's this thing that occurs, and it can impact any myriad of organs. And 
So I had that, but actually, to be perfectly honest, they really want you to have a certain amount of it because if it exists but isn't so extreme that it really causes like massive organ failure, because that's the thing that that will kill people is graft versus host disease after transplants because it can it can impact your organs so negatively that you can't recover from it. But they want you to have a certain level of it because then it, then they call it graft versus leukemia where basically if there are any hiding leukemic cells in your body like it will attack those Ooh, as well it goes after it yeah oh, that's crazy yeah so okay. the the cool thing is i had graft versus host disease and it was very visible in my mouth the doctors could see it i couldn't see it but it was in the roof of my mouth and then it showed up in my blood count so it affected my my kidneys and my liver but it was in a low enough it was at a low enough level that really I can't say I actually noticed any tangible change aside from what I was being told about the ca- the blood counts. Like my mouth didn't hurt, nothing hurt. It's just that basically it was, I think, kind of the right level to keep the leukemia at bay and or kill it further, whatever. But it was just it was just the right mix. But because of that, you need to take immunosuppression because when you're immunosuppressed when your immune system is like comes up and starts to come to life, that's when the graft versus host increases, right? So your body's like having an immune response against those cells. So for quite some time, I was on immunosuppression and thank goodness it's not right now because holy cow, that's, you know, those are the people that right now with this whole coronavirus thing are at at pretty high risk. So the immunosuppressed Mm -hmm. are really, really challenged right now to stay safe. But so it was ultimately years that I was on immunosuppression and we tried many, many times um, to taper off of it. But so it took quite a while to get off of it. But at one point, relatively early on post-transplant, it was bad enough that the immunosuppression that I was taking wasn't sufficient. So they, they had me do prednisone, which helps a lot against that. And prednisone has some some side effects. At least it did in me, and it really impacted me. So it's it's known to cause irritability and lack of sleep in some people, which, man, I was a jerk. Like, I definitely – I'm not somebody who has a huge filter anyway of, of just kind of saying what I think. But, yeah, the, the prednisone took that all away. So um, – and, and I just feel so bad still even thinking about it. But my kids were young, and I had zero patience whatsoever with them and – and my wife and and frankly it's a huge reason why the divorce rate is very very high among transplant survivors and um, wow. i i think part of it is due to side effects from from some drugs which can greatly impact a lot of things and, and the prednisone really really did and you know that's another thing that i'm so thankful my wife was so she was so patient it's crazy I, I don't I remember just being rude or short or whatever and I, I honestly I don't know if she ever pushed back or you know defended or argued or whatever against me she was just so patient so that's I don't know I, I definitely wouldn't have had that level of patience with somebody you know being as low filtered as I was but so the prednisone really impacted my mood and oh and also it made me fat what's well, this to steroid, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think everybody's yeah. probably seen people who have been on prednisone or at least high dose prednisone, and it looks—they call it moon face. So 
it's that really, That's really right. round cheeks. Like it's a very distinctive look. And I had that in spades. So um, that, that, that just sounds like this sounds like a very important piece, right? That probably people don't recognize or realize probably who have gone through it. I don't know, but it just seems like super important. Yeah. Well, just to under to recognize that you're going to be a, you know, an ass. And then that's the thing. It's, it's like, well, so here's the other the funny thing. Well, God dang it. <laughs> here's the normal thing about it. <laughs> or not. I thought or not. Just like just like after when I went through the the first chemo treatment and just thought I was a total boss. It, it, you know, I'm the I'm made for this. It's not going to affect me. I also thought I was going to be able to continue eating food during my transplant and it's not going to affect me. I also thought I was going to be the person that wasn't impacted by taking high dose prednisone and it wasn't going to change my my anything, but it definitely did. Our goal at the Full of Hope podcast is to hear from and share with as many people as possible. This is where we need your help. Please tell your friends and family about us so that we can grow. If you want to share your story, go to fullofhopepodcast.com and fill out the form on the Get On Our Podcast page. Or search for Full of Hope Podcast on all social media platforms and reach us there. We ourselves are full of hope that we can help thousands of people, but we can't do it without your help. So thank you for helping us grow. First of all, <clears throat> I'm really surprised at how it was through no control really of my own, right? Like I'm taking a medication. It's going to do certain weird things to you. But when I look at the pictures of myself during that time, those really bother me. It's really, I'm not really a, I don't consider myself a vain person, but looking at those pictures and my huge, like my face was so big. Okay. My face was so big that when I look, well, that's when you're supposed to say, how big was it? I was too busy laughing. God dang it. That was your cue. Like I'm sorry. If we were in the same room together, I could Horrible have somehow bothered you. Yeah. Horrible. <laughs> so, no, I would look ahead. Like, I'd be looking straight ahead at somebody I'm talking to, and I could see my cheeks. Like, from the oh, bottom of my eye, I could see visibly it was as if I had something stacked up on my cheeks i could see them while i was looking straight ahead that's how like okay so so right was. now i'm hoping that everybody listening look down at their cheeks because i did i wanted to see can't see it. how far i had to push my cheeks up right before i could see them. this was just normal mode i'm looking straight ahead i can see it and it's not even just I could see a hint of it. I could straight it was almost obscuring my vision. I mean probably not quite that bad, but it was it was I, so okay. it, impact, it, it not only impacted my mood but also my face. And and so I remember and so my weight got up ultimately. I remember my weight got up to one eighty after the transplant. And so Ooh. and that was within mm, I wanna say three or four months of me being one twenty five. So that's a that's a massive. So it it greatly increased my appetite, which was good because I needed to eat, but it made me really heavy. And I remember talking to Doctor Petersdorf about my face. I was saying how I was surprised how it bothered me what my face looked like, and he's like, "Yeah, well, you know, it's fat, whatever." And so I said, "I I said, well, yeah, it's weird because you know I'm not." I'm not generally, a, you know, a heavy person. So is this mostly, this is just water or what's, what's going on? And he goes, oh no, that's fat. 
And so, like, just a matter of factly, like, oh no, you're 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 top of lard right now. Like, basically, yeah. is what he straight up look in the mirror. Fat. Yeah. <laughs> so no sugar coating of anything, but that's what I loved about him. So yeah. So, but it also made me smart as heck. The best. I was a programmer at the time. The the best code I ever wrote. 100 percent it it was like that i guess taking that um limitless pill remember that movie limitless yeah i remember that oh my gosh in fact i remember distinctly remember years later having to um talk to somebody who was supporting my application about the code and i straight up told him i have no idea I, i i have no I don't know what this I, – I did it myself, but I have no idea what it currently does, why it works, or how I even wrote it. I would have yeah. thought somebody else did it. but um, Okay, but young, young people out there, don't do drugs. No, no, no. Don't, don't do prednisone to get smart. <laughs> no. It'll make everybody hate you. <laughs> and you'll get super fat. You'll be super fat. You'll be a total you jerk. See- You'll never stop eating, but you might. It might. It might make you smart. You never know. So really, that's kind of the medical stuff. I ended up having um, both my hips replaced like a couple years later, just because the high dose prednisone I was on wreaked havoc on my hips because it can be the bad. Prednisone for your bones. did that. Yeah, it can be bad for your bones. Um, so, so that's another area where my beloved Dr. Peter store. I my hips just hurt so bad, and so we we're trying to figure out, you know, what 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 the problem was. So. We found out I had this thing called avascular necrosis in my bones, in my hips, and that I would have to have them have them both replaced. And I remember talking to Petersdorf about it, and he's he said, "Well, he's like, yeah, it's, it's interesting because I've got one other patient that you know that has had this really bad like that." And and he said, "But right after she had her hips done, she had to have both her knees and then her shoulders done after." <laughs> after that oh, no. so i'm going oh my gosh no please no but um it turns out it was just it was only my hips and now so i get a, a little attention so at uh at the airport at wherever wherever you go through i get the full full meal deal are, are you you know you're not even worried about shoulders or ankles that's nothing I mean, no i know the hips you're good yeah so really solid. i mean at this point oh this far out you know once you get past essentially five years out from from the being in remission essentially i'm as unlikely to get leukemia or any other side effect from those direct treatments as as anybody else is on the planet a, a little more likely like by a small percentage amount but essentially those types of things are the acute symptoms of stuff like that are are, are gone but i i think i did mention when i went through the radiation they basically told me you're going to get some other kind of cancer in 10 years yeah, yeah. that's what i was thinking yeah well so that's why you know it's 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 one of those weird things where to this day if i have if i have too many headaches or you know i'm having issues with my memory i don't know if i mentioned that on the podcast but i have i have issues with my memory uh much more so than before and and words don't come to me like they used to but it's this weird thing where um, and I've gone to to a neuropsychologist to have tons and tons of like hours and hours of testing done on on myself to see if it's a result of the treatment. And frankly, it's hard to distinguish whether it's it's from the treatment or just getting older. Because everybody just tells me, yeah, like join the club, 
when you get older, yeah. you start forgetting stuff, right? So yeah. it's weird. It's, it, it, I think I'm just kind of in that sweet spot age-wise where it's not completely clear what you can attribute to it and what you can't. But yeah, but in terms of the bones, I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I'm set for that. So really, that's, that's it, I think, from the medical stuff treatment and post-treatment life there have been some really really cool things that happened though in my life as a result of it so i joined a telethon that that actually jamie moyer uh who used to be a pitcher for the mariners and his wife yeah, started jamie moyer yeah jamie moyer started this foundation called catch a cure for cancer and so i remember being asked i don't remember um, who asked me but they asked me to come share really briefly not in six hours of podcast material but in probably three minutes or less on the radio oh my gosh <laughs> what's your story how, right so how did you manage can you believe it three minutes can you believe no it? i absolutely don't not not <laughs> it at all happened. i can't believe it either you know what's weird okay well, this is weird <laughs> You tell me what's weird. I'm going to tell you if it's weird or not. <laughs> um, I remember being asked, and I actually remember sitting in the studio, and uh, my wife and, and kids were there. I don't remember anything about the interview specifically. I remember <clears throat> being in the radio, the studio, I think it was it, it was, was in Seattle somewhere, so I don't remember exactly which station. But point is, I did this radio interview and then kind of didn't, didn't really think anything of it. Um, and then a little while later, I got a, a call or email from somebody at, at Fred Hutch. Um, so the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center is part of what's called the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. And so anyway, um, and, and that's where I went, right, for most of this treatment or all of the treat, cancer treatment. So um, somebody from the Hutch called me and or emailed me and said, hey, we heard your interview, you know, on this cancer cure for cancer thing. And we're doing our biggest fundraiser of every year is what they call the Fred Hutch Award. And they are connected with Major League Baseball um, to give out once per year. They give out an award to a baseball player that exemplifies what they consider Fred Hutchinson's spirit. And so I've not explained it, but Fred Hutchinson used to be a Major League Baseball player. And... His brother was an, uh, a brilliant oncologist in Seattle, and his brother like essentially started the bone marrow transplant program and processes that are used there, and just this brilliant scientist. And his brother, who was a major league baseball player, ended up getting cancer, and he he treated his brother, and um, and so you know ended up dedicating essentially his his life's work in his brother's name, Fred Hutchinson. So that's where that's where that name comes from. But and and so that's also the connection with major league baseball. Um, so they give out the Fred Hutch Award once a year. Uh, to a, a major league baseball player, and it it was it was really cool because I played baseball all the way you know through my sophomore year in college, and um, it was probably the most important like formative thing that happened in my life. It basically all of I think all of the 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 things that I would consider good out of myself i think those all were developed on the baseball field so to be able to do something so anyway they, they contacted me about this hutch award and said every year we have a survivor come and give share their story to the at the fundraiser would would you be willing to you know put something together and come share it 
And um, for me, it was a no brainer. Yeah. It was kind of this cool combination <clears throat> of, I felt like I had this awesome story to share of survival um, when the, the odds seem so poor. And also I'm not somebody who gets scared or ner- nervous to talk in front of people. So, and in fact, I kind of like it. So I was thinking, wow, this would be an awesome way to be able to share my story, raise some money, and get to practice public speaking. I, I thought that was going to be way, way cool. So yeah, I was asked to come do that. It was at Safeco Field. Uh, Barry Zito, who was a Cy Young winner several years before, but Barry Zito won the award. Lou Pinella was the keynote speaker, and we got to meet them beforehand. Um, we got to you know sit in, you know, go through the, the locker room. We got to go through the room where they do all the press conferences see kind of all the guts of safeco field which was way cool and yeah so i was i was the survivor speaker for that event you were at at safeco right yeah yeah that's so cool though yeah Yeah. the thing that was i thought really neat about it was i got to you know invite some some people to come along and obviously my my family i had come but i was able to have dr petersdorf come and you know, it, it was the it was the only time really that that I was able to publicly really publicly thank him. But I'll never forget that moment of of doing that speech. It was like a ten or eleven minute speech, so not a real long speech, but just being able to share my story of how faith impacted my recovery and how how changed I was from that and just give thanks to all the people that had such a huge role in my recovery but most you know for me most memorably was was to be able to have Dr. Petersdorf and stand up and and me to just be able to tell him you know I, how much I loved him and how thankful I was for everything he'd done and um you know, he was he was a ways away from where I was talking, but I could see you know I could see the pride in his eyes, and he welled up, and um, it, I was mm. so grateful to be able to to share that with him. Um, so it was it was a really really for me a really cool thing to be able to do, and then I got to meet tons of just you know the the GM of the Mariners. I got to meet Rick Riz, um, the you know the announcer for the Mariners. Um, lots of local news folks. Jimmy Moyer was there, so it, it it was just a really 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 cool event. But it was really my first kind of dipping my toe into public speaking and and fundraising for this uh, for cancer research. So that one year, I, I did I spoke for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, the Fred Hutchinson. So I think between those two organizations, I did I think four four different events that year. And you know, ever since then, it's like maybe now one every couple of years. Um, so I've always stayed involved with them. And then the other thing that I've been involved with um, the LLS for uh, ever since my transplant, probably two years after the transplant, was they have this program that they call First Connections, where essentially they pair people who are newly diagnosed with survivors who have similar kind of demographic or situational conditions that are similar to the people that are going through it. So um, I agreed to be what's called a First Connections counselor, where, you know, when youngish people get diagnosed that have kids, you know, I'll get contacted with, are you able to reach out? And so I'll get a phone number and be able to call these folks and just mostly really listen, 
to what they have to to say? I know you probably well, can't believe Ryan, I'm able to on. do that. No, I mean, I I just experienced the biggest virtual eye roll, and. I've ever experienced. <laughs> I don't know if oh, our listeners know Believe this it or yet not, about you, but I'm going to give. Fact. Okay, I'm going to give everybody, everybody I talk to through as a first connections counselor. I'm going to give all their phone numbers out so you can call all of them. I mean, so I'm really mindful of the fact that people are very just scared and also want somebody to to talk to. This is something that I think people probably can relate to. Or if you're helping somebody that, you know, the, the unknown elements of it and the fear and some of that stuff that can really play kind of wreak havoc with you. It's good to be able to talk to, I remember having the exact same thought where I just wanted to talk to somebody who's been through it. Right. Like, tell, yeah. I, I want to know somebody who survived this or, you know, what was it like for them? What did they do? Um, and so that's what that program is really set up to do, which is just I'm I'm essentially there to listen to them, share their stories with me, what they're going through. And then if they have any questions, then I'll, of course, answer those as best I can. But yeah, so that's what that program's about. Frankly, at this point, I, I don't okay. even um, some of the very detailed stuff because this is when they're in the middle of this, all of the terminology and all of the counts and all that stuff is at the forefront of your mind, right? Well, I think I mentioned memory problems. So yeah. some of the technical stuff, I can I have to be honest with them about and say I just I can't remember really the the very specific details and sometimes they're looking for stuff like that just to help them get through it but it's an amazing program and um i you know i'm really happy to be be a part of it so i think you're perfect for that though too absolutely dude yeah man oh thank you that's very cool for sure well and so you know all this all this stuff that i've done with the public speaking and fundraising and things like that like the thing that i've i've loved about it is the idea and, and being able to connect with people and finding out that with sharing my story with them gives them hope and confidence and and all that kind of stuff so frankly i i really thought after i'd recovered and was doing some of the speaking that that you know, God's plan for me was just, this was going to be somehow my life where I was going to somehow transition into something where I wasn't sure what it would look like, but I just anticipated, you know, doing something where I'm able to connect with people to share my story and the hopefulness in it and how faith impacted my recovery. I just thought that was going to be my life. And frankly, that's why we're talking right now. You know, it it just hasn't, I want to say, in a real natural way, hasn't led to anything like that, aside from a couple events, right? Just sharing. But, you know, I'm 40, almost 43 now. And just the last couple of years, I've been thinking, I think I need to be more proactive and just moving towards, I want to be more decisive about some things. And I don't know if it's a midlife thing or not, but I, I just decided, hey, you know, I've got a buddy that I reconnected with that mentioned he wanted to do a podcast. And I thought, wow, podcasting could be a great way to hear other people's stories and connect connect with them and, and make their stories, you know, visible to, to others who are going through these situations. So, frankly, that that's the entire reason I'm doing this now. It's just because I want to do what I can to try to 
try to make something out of this and and not just my story i'm going to be one hopefully of hundreds you know of people that are going to be on this podcast sharing their stories of of uh you know overcoming really challenging situations so you know that's that's why we're here that is why yeah so just to talk real quickly about ways this experience changed me one of the super cool things was um particularly going through the treatment experience, I got to see the best in everybody. So, you know, I got to see how caring and thoughtful people are just from donating money, donating time, cooking meals, putting together blood drives. You know, my, I don't know if I remember if I mentioned, but my work did like an auction, you know, just the things that people did to reach out and help and just support. And I, I mentioned having a blog where people were able to join and, and provide words of encouragement. So I, it was just amazing just to be able to see how, how awesome people can be. And, um, so really, and, and just having that mentality of just seeing the best in everyone and kind of everything, you know, I, I mentioned just feeling this incredible peace that I, that I feel came from God. And that was just my faith in, in his plan, um, that I didn't have to worry about anything, but something that accompanied that was just, Man, at that time, I just had no, I was irritated about nothing. Everything just, the the perspective I think it provided, it just, it really, it was pretty incredible. Of course, now I get irritated with everything, but, um, so you can't hang on to that forever. But just in the, in the, in the moment, it was actually a really amazing place to be. I'm sure it was annoying for people, actually. Um so I feel bad for them. But but as I mentioned uh, last time, it made me really emotional. The medications I was on made me really emotional. So And still to this day, I cry much more easily than I ever used to. I don't sob anymore at simple things that I should just be videotaping, but I, I think I am. I, See, I, am I, I, I think you got to – there's a separation between stuff that happens when you get older and stuff that happens as a result of – what you went through well it's that's a great I, point rj i cry a lot at sporting events and fam, <laughs> family movies like yeah, that's yeah. it just it gets me now and well maybe that's it then it so again like maybe i'm just in that sweet spot of the age like i i just would aged into that stuff anyways so it's it's hard to distinguish but uh other changes i think i'm less patient definitely less patient than i used to be so just in general i i think it's just an overall lack of patience for things that i feel maybe because i feel like some things just don't matter maybe that i don't know it's it's hard to describe but i can just say like if you were to ask my wife she would definitely agree that i'm a less a less patient person than i used to be um and less energy that's the bummer so i used to have lots and lots of uh lots of energy but um that's that's less so I mean, I, I can definitely get through the day. It's not a problem. And, and, you know, I'm at work. I'm somebody that tends to have a fair amount of energy. But, boy, if I can take a nap every day, I need it. I love it. I love a, a brief nap every day. So the energy's definitely impacted, and that's something that's that's pretty common. If, if you're going going to go through a transplant or I think lots of different types of cancer treatment or other treatments, 
can impact your energy long term. And so, you know, it's another one of those things that I had heard and just kind of guessed it wouldn't impact me because I had been so high energy and just had this kind of optimistic view about it. But the energy has never really come back all the way um, from what it used to be. So, and then just the, the kind of last thing about changes to me um, since then, I mentioned the fact that, you know, I was told it's likely that I'm going to get some other kind of cancer. So it just makes me more alert or on alert, I guess, than probably it would have been otherwise. Maybe not. Maybe it's just, you know, that's part of getting older too. But I don't know if, again, with no, headaches or I, yeah. I have a hard time breathing. Yeah, no, we've talked about that before. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No. I mean, I try not to be weird about it, and, and and I it's not like I go into the doctor all the time. Like, am I getting cancer somewhere else or whatever? But it's just you know, I'm I, I want to be mindful about it because just like everything, you want to you want to find this stuff out as early as possible because that gives you the best shot. But um, yeah, so that's probably the other change. To support the Full of Hope podcast, please go to the support the podcast page on fullofhopepodcast.com. If you believe in our goal to help people through difficult situations by being able to hear the positive outcomes of those who've been through them themselves, your support will be huge to help us grow. It's kind of to wrap up. I, I just wanted to summarize the things that I really feel like helped get me through it. And I've, I've definitely mentioned, I think, all of them throughout the podcast, but just to have one spot to kind of capture them all. So the first thing, and it and it's not something that Unfortunately, I think I had any specific control over, but the thing that I will say 100% helped me the most was just this incredible piece I got that God had a plan and it was things were going to work out exactly how they needed to. It honestly, RJ, there's, I've already, you know, belabored it, I think, but I can't describe the burden that that took off of me because I, I just, Aside from the the severe response I had to the anti-nausea medication at the very beginning of my hospital stay, I had no moments where I was fearful or or any, anything other than just kind of looking ahead at the plan and what's next type of thing. And so, if there's any way to get there, you know, and like this is this is just could be just a super positive attitude too, right? For those maybe not in the faith or whatever, it's just having that super positive attitude. Dude. And you always have that all the time, you know? So you're right. Um, that, that, I, I see it all the time. Yeah. It's funny because I, I kind of listed the, the optimism and positive mindset as another element to it, but I think they're definitely related because guess what? For me, sure. it was super easy to be positive when I felt like things were like in the right hands, right? So I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to say it's easy, but um, but my nature generally does tend to be kind of op- have an optimistic mindset. So, and that's something you can't control, right? You you can't you can't necessarily control, you know, being touched by the hand of God and feeling this this incredible burden lifted off of you. I can't say everybody's going to have that in the world, or if, if they even believe in that, but. I will say the people that I that I met as I walked in the hospital and all the people I interacted with afterwards, even at, at speaking events, the people who have an optimistic mindset, they just do better. I mean, there's there, you know, there's tons of research you can do on it, but yeah, no you, doubt, you, you know, 
optimism has a huge role in recovery for everything. So that's absolutely something that that played a huge role. And uh, so for me, because I'm so extroverted, you know, connecting with other patients, meeting people, particularly when I was in the hospital and I had to walk around and exercise, I just, I absolutely loved connecting with other people and, and, and meeting them and, you know, hearing their situation and just kind of sharing how, you know, things are going with me because things, a lot of the time were going really, really well. So, you know, I just wanted to be that kind of positive story that other people could see. So connecting with people for me was so important, but and I recognize not everybody is like me and not everybody is going to be comfortable just like coming on you know, a podcast and sharing their story. And I, I have to respect and appreciate that. But truly, if if you're listening and you or somebody you know has a, a positive story to share, I, I just feel like it's so awesome and important that, you know, you were able to go come through on top of whatever, you know, it was. And other people will benefit from hearing that. I mean, there's it, there's no doubt in my mind that, that people will benefit from hearing tons and tons of positive stories. So, you know, just really want to encourage, you know, and anybody to, to come on and share that story. I'd love to talk with you and meet meet with you. But a couple of other things that helped me a ton, uh, being able to work, frankly, as, as much as I was able to. And obviously, you can't, everybody can't control that. But for me, um, particularly at the beginning when things could have, kind of gotten away from me and been real scary, you know, having work to focus on um, something or, you know, if it's something else, maybe a, a hobby or, or even <clears throat> shoot now, I mean, all the streaming that's available on Netflix, th- there's tons of options to kind of just provide distractions. And for me, like I, I just lucked out because work was a positive distraction for me. So that was something that helped. And I was very fortunate, I recognize, but I had a great network of uh, friends and family that were all, I've already mentioned, super supportive. They just helped, I think, with, you know, me being able to keep that optimism and and positive mindset because as somebody who's extroverted, that's really how I get all my energy and and kind of, um, you know, I'm, I'm able to recharge through that. So having that, a great network for doing that was was really impactful so i really recommend even if you're you're not somebody who feeds off that direct energy setting up something in social media or or using caring bridge to set up something that you could just share or somebody that that is with you can share um something and and receive you know words of goodwill from others and then um i just think i found is part of the optimism thing, but I found humor in lots of this, lots of stuff. And I, I think that it all goes together, but, um, I think whenever you go through anything challenging, there's going to be, if you, if you look for it, you're, you're going to see some funny crap happen during all this stuff. And for me anyway, being able to recognize and, and even share those humorous things with other people, I think was a, was a big part of the, what helped me get through it. But ultimately, you know, it was that, that peace of mind that I had that allowed me to be optimistic. And, uh, for me, that came from my, my faith and, um, really was thankful for that. So, yeah, I, I wanted to touch just real quick, cause you, you said something earlier, mentioned it too, but the people that um, are in the support of those who are going through this probably have stories to tell too. And, yeah. you know, I, I think those are super valuable um, and something that other people could benefit from. And so we don't, 
And we yeah, want to want to make sure those those stories get heard as well. That's right? a great idea. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. In fact, the 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 people providing the support may be, even be able to provide. Uh, obviously, it's a different perspective, but also they may be able to provide more accurate information. Like for instance, when it comes to the transplant itself, I don't have a whole lot because I was out of it most of the time. Right. So, you know. Uh, Potentially, you know, somebody who was caring for me could could fill in those gaps. But yeah, I think also it, it'll be super interesting to hear those different perspectives because the job for those providing support, I'll guarantee it was much harder. And, and it is like I've talked with my wife about it. It's much harder on her than it was on me. All I was in was in battle mode. And that's all I had to do, really. Right. And she was able to take take all the other stuff off of the table um but but that puts it all on her shoulders and so for me to just focus on getting through it that feels pretty easy but she's got all the fear associated with what if things don't work out how are we going to survive just financially emotionally with the kids and what will we do and all the and just the logistics of everything so yeah you're absolutely right the caregivers have so much stuff to deal with um, that is completely or can be detached from what I was going through. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, or not. I, oh, God dang it. Or not. You're right. No, you get ready. <laughs> I, this is interesting. Just... <laughs> you freaking get ready. Um, no, you know, I'm always happy to share my story with anybody and I'll go, I'll go speak anywhere with as many people as, as needed. It's, it's not fun for my wife to listen to. So it, it's not for her. It was a, a much different emotional, I think, journey to go through than I saw it as. So th- those caregiver stories, yeah, those would be, I think, great to hear and, and make part of the podcast as well. So great, great point, RJ. All right, buddy. We may, oh, can yeah. you believe it? This is only, I think, overall so far, like six hours of recorded material. I, well, do you remember? <clears throat> you remember the first? So, I asked, "Should it be thirty minutes?" <laughs> no just, joke. Just, just so that we don't lose our lose our no, listeners. That's no joke. Because <laughs> I'm like that conversation. Ha- and and so I said, "What I say?" I said, mm, "I I think it'll probably be an hour, and I think an hour is about right." Because uh, that's like the podcast that I listen to that I enjoy. They're usually about an hour, so. Um, uh, God bless anybody who made it all the way through these. No, I mean, you know, I don't expect everybody – this is the other thing. If if you want to come on and share your story, there, I have zero expectation. I'm willing to talk with you as long as makes as long as you want because just I'm interested. But I don't expect you to share six hours worth of, uh, of content or materials on the podcast. That is not my expectation. I want to talk as long as you want to talk. But uh, – you know, I had lots to say. So, anyway, thanks, buddy, for you know making it through with me. This, this was yeah, many more to come, buddy. I'm, yeah, man. I appreciate it, and I appreciate you and, and what you're doing. And oh yeah, yeah. I'm super yeah, glad you're you're going to be part of it. Thank you so much for listening to and sharing the podcast. To find information about today's episode, how to support the podcast, or find out how you can share your story, go to fullofhopepodcast.com. All of our social media info is there, or you can just look on all platforms for Full of Hope Podcast. 
In the next episode, we'll finally get to hear from someone else as we talk to young cancer survivor, Matt Driscoll. And until next time, this is RJ reminding you that Ryan's story is living proof. There is so much reason to be full of hope.